You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. I've got a message for you guys today um, called When Jesus Feels Aloof. Right? Now, right on the surface of it, this doesn't sound like a huge, huge like, like uh, exciting message, but I promise you there's really, really good news in it. Um, now, how many of you guys remember listening to albums? Anybody listen to like, like whole albums, right? Like you would actually buy it. You would either buy an LP or like my generation, you buy a CD and you would actually listen like start to finish, right? These days, everything's all singles, right? And, and that's not, I'm not knocking singles. I'm not knocking like greatest hits albums. Um, but there's a, there's a difference between uh, listening to something that an artist created and the track order and all that stuff where there's this journey that they're trying to take you on from start to finish. And, and, and oftentimes, that's not necessarily the way that we listen to music. We listen to, to greatest hits things, or we listen to like Spotify playlists, and it's like all the big bangers, you know, that are like radio singles and whatever that we love. Um, sometimes we approach the Bible that way too, and this is not necessarily wrong. Sometimes we want the like greatest hits of the Bible. Right? We want those verses that are just going to be like memorable, and they lift us up, and you know, we want to we get our concordances, and we just want to look out all the verses on like hope or joy or something. And that's not like a bad or, or unfruitful way to read the Bible. But sometimes, when you just read a whole bunch of the Bible, you come across like those like hidden tracks, right? Or there's ones that's like you're listening through a whole album, and you're suddenly like, what? Where did this song come from? You know what I mean? So now, this might be a controversial statement. And you can argue with me about it after the service if you would like to. Um, But I think that hands down, start to finish, one of the greatest rock albums of all time is The Joshua Tree. You two fans? Right? Okay. So The Joshua Tree, stellar album from start to finish. Bono, I would put him up against any vocalist anywhere in the world at just creating like absolutely memorable melodies, like soaring anthemic melodies. And, and the Joshua tree starts out this way, right? Like it, it goes, where the streets have no name. That's the opening track. You guys know that song? Where the streets have no name, right? Excellent, excellent song. Um, track two is I still haven't found what I'm looking for. All right, you guys know that one, right? I have climbed the highest mountain. I have run through the fields only to be with you. And you're like, oh yes, Bono, keep singing it to me, right? And then the third track, it just keeps getting better, with or without you, right? Oh, my gosh. Then you get to track four. Does anybody know what track four is on YouTube's Joshua Tree? You can't Google it. Anybody? No. Possibly the less memorable song on the album. I think it's still a great rock and roll track called Bullet the Blue Sky. Oh, yeah. The one we forget about. Right Now, all of a sudden, you have these anthemic melodies, and then you get to Bullet the Blue Sky, which like, starts off with just all this crazy feedback, you know? And, and it's, like, the guitars are hardly actually playing any chords, you know? He's just like, dragging it down the fretboard the whole time. It's like 50% spoken word, right? There's hardly like, an actual discernible melody at all in that song. It's also the most like, like, creatively explorative song in terms of lyrics, right? You're like, what's he even talking about? Like, can we just go back to With or Without You? You know, Bono, right? I can wrap my brain around that. Um, and, and the thing is, is this can often be our experience with reading the Gospels. Really, this is true of the entire Bible as well. But if we just keep reading, especially the Gospels, reading just even the stories and words of Jesus, we will inevitably come across some strange scene, something odd that Jesus says or something odd that Jesus does that makes us scratch our head and makes us go just like, wait, wait, Jesus, what? 
where, where did this come from? Could, can we just like, could you just do one of your greatest hits? You know, just play one of those for us, right? This is one of those passages we get to this morning. And, and this is the reason we're landing on this passage today is because this is just one of the lectionary texts for the day. So this is from the Revised Common Lectionary, which means thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands of churches in the world are all reading this passage this morning, and all these people are going, what? Wait, what, Jesus? This is not the Jesus that I normally expect. So if you've got your Bibles, read this with me. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Um, I'm going to be reading this morning out of a version you may or may not be familiar with. This one is an actual version. Last time I, I preached, I started off with my own version, this, the cynical Roger version. This is an actual version. This is the Kingdom New Testament. This is N.T. Wright. If you're familiar with scholar and author N.T. Wright, this is his translation of the New Testament, um, which I just happen to really love the way that this passage came out in it. Uh, but you can read along with me in whatever version you're reading. It'll, it'll make sense. So it says, Jesus got up, left that place, and went to the region of Tyre. When he took up residence in a house, he didn't want anyone to know, but it wasn't possible for him to remain hidden. On the contrary, news of him at once reached a woman who had a young daughter with an unclean spirit. She came and threw herself down at his feet. And she was Greek, a Syrophoenician by race, and she asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Let the children eat what they want first, Jesus replied. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Thanks, Jesus. Well, master, she said, even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs that the children drop. Well said, replied Jesus. Off you go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Why don't you pray with me for a moment? Jesus, we thank you so much for your scriptures. We thank you that that there's so much in it that often just makes us scratch our head, that makes us pause, that makes us ask good questions of you. Thank you, Jesus, that you always keep us on our toes And I just pray this morning, Jesus, that through your scriptures and through this story, would you speak to us? Would you just open up our eyes and let us see you in new ways? Open up our ears so let us hear you in new and fresh ways. God, whatever the word is that every single person needs to hear this morning, I pray that they would hear that word from you, whether someone in this room or folks on Facebook Live or somebody listening on the podcast somewhere in the future, God, would you just give them the word from you, Jesus, that they need to hear right now today? And we just trust you that even through your sometimes mysterious ways that you speak to us. So come, Holy Spirit, and I pray that your voice would be much more loud than my own. Amen. So we come to this strange story, right? This woman shows up. Her child's got a serious problem. And Jesus seems just rather aloof. He seems just sort of like, Meh, whatever. Now, if you, read, if you read Matthew's version in Matthew 15, it actually explicitly says that Jesus kept ignoring her. 
right? It's like she's, she's coming into this house and Jesus is just, you know, she's like, wah, 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 and he's just like nothing. So much so that the disciples have to come and interrupt him and say, Jesus, you've got to acknowledge this woman somehow. Can we just send her away? Because now she's just getting obnoxious, right? And so we see this, and Jesus gives this odd response. And we're like, what's up with that, Jesus? Like, again, could you just play one of your hits, right? Why not, why not just say, like, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son, and like, your daughter's healed, you know? Like, give one of your one-liners, Jesus. You got a bunch of them. Instead, he says this strange bit about feeding children before dogs, right? Now, what I want to pitch to you guys this morning is this idea, is that when Jesus feels aloof, you can trust him that there's more going on than you realize. You really can. When he feels aloof, when he feels mysterious, when he feels cryptic, when he feels disinterested, when he feels far off, when he feels like he's got anything better to do in the world than respond to you, you can trust him that there's probably more going on than you realize in the moment. Now, we're going to look at this, through, this passage through sort of three different lenses and, and understand maybe what, is, what are those things behind the scenes that we might not realize that are going on. And the first way I want to look at this is what I would call like the contextual reading. Okay, meaning what we're, gonna, what we're talking about is just what's going on in this actual physical real world context that might clue us in to something. And the question we're asking is like, well, what is this passage trying to get us to understand? Right? What are we to understand about Jesus, about the, the first century Palestine where he was doing his ministry, right? Whatever. And the thing I want to say is that the more that is going on here is that Jesus is staying focused on his calling. What he's actually doing is staying focused on his calling, which was to his own people. Now, again, we, met, we read this really, really quickly, quickly, and it may not have like stuck with you, but Jesus, he's doing all this, this ministry in Galilee, and he's getting really exhausted. So he's trying to like head off into the country to like get away from people. So he heads up north, right, to the northern edges of Galilee, and he's kind of on the outskirts of this town called Tyre. Tyre is a Gentile city, Right? There's a bunch of Greeks that live there. So he's heading away from where it's like dominantly Jews and heading up to where it's dominantly Greeks. So it's kind of not surprising that he might encounter more Greeks up in this area. This woman, the, the word starts spreading that Jesus is nearby. And even amongst the Gentiles, they're, they're starting to get wind of who he is. So she comes and she seeks him out. And, and what Jesus says here is really interesting. He says, let the children eat what they want first. Now on the surface of it, did she ask him anything about food? No, this is Jesus being weird, right? She says, my daughter has a demon. He says, I'm sorry, you're hungry, right? But what he means, what he means there, there is that his ministry is first to the children of Israel, all right? What, what, what he ha whatever it is that he has to give, he's going to first, he's first intent on giving it to his own people. Jesus rather explicitly, oftentimes, he'll speak really cryptically. He was not very cryptic about this. He's, he's clearly explicit many times that his calling was to the Jews only. And again, in fact, if you read back in Matthew 15, um, after the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, you're ignoring this woman. And like now she's just getting really obnoxious. Can you just send her away? His response to the disciples isn't anything about the woman. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He, just, he knows the business that he's about. Um, and this is interesting. So I've been thinking a lot about leadership lately. So, so this might be kind of like out of left field, but I'm leading a leadership discovery group. High fives to all my leadership discovery people. I'll see you on Tuesday. Um, but so I've been reading a lot of John Maxwell. You guys know who John Maxwell is? Leadership guru guy. I have a love-hate relationship with him. 
He seems like a great guy, though. But he says lots of things sometimes that are so true that I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah, you're right, John. Um, But I came across this recently, and I'd thought of it again when I was reading the story about Jesus and the priority that he had for sticking to the mission that he knew that he had to the Jews. But John Maxwell says this. He says, don't let an overload of information or to-dos hinder you from being truly productive. Be selective where you spend your time and your energy. Figure out what is most important to you and filter everything you do through your top priorities. This is exactly what Jesus was doing, right? He was filtering everything through his top priority, which had been given to him by the Father, which was bring the kingdom to your own people. Bring the kingdom to your own people. And and what's great is that this woman, she, she seemed to understand this. She didn't argue with him. She didn't argue about this premise at all. She just said, well, can I get a little something, right? And here, this is the beauty of Jesus, right? Even though in the gospels, you never see Jesus go out of his way to minister to Gentiles, but if a Gentile comes to him, he never turns them away. He knows his priorities. He knows his priorities when he's setting his itinerary, when he's planning his travels. But when they come to him, He's always so gracious. And of course, what kind of savior is just gonna send this woman away with crumbs? Not this one, right? He doesn't send her away with crumbs at all. In fact, he delivers her daughter from a demon without ever even saying so or ever even going and seeing her, right? He is so good. And we can learn this, right? We we are inundated by such a flood of needs and causes all around us all the time that it can be overwhelming. You guys heard the, the, the term compassion fatigue, right? It's because we're told all the time, you have to care about this. Your heart has to break for that. Why are you not outraged about what's going on with this people group and that people group and, and over there and over here? It's because our human capacity can't handle it. Thankfully, God's can. Thankfully, all of us collectively If we all care about enough different things, hopefully everything is getting tended to in the world. But what we learn is we cannot carry every burden. We cannot fight every cause. We can't stand on every soapbox. And even Jesus didn't. But instead it's for us to say, Lord, what do you think? What is my top priority? Right? How do I filter what it is that you have called me to? So this first lens, I think this is helpful, right? What what this passage wants us to know is that Jesus had priorities. It was to the children of Israel, but still he would be immensely gracious to anyone who came to him. Now, the second thing though, the second reason that we can trust Jesus that there's more going on than we realize is what I would call the missional reading. We could could look at this passage in terms of a missional reading and and, and this idea of like, what are we then to do? What is, if this passage is meant to tell us to do anything, if it was instructive to his disciples at the moment, which I think later on it was, I think this is part of the reason why Mark included it. Well, so, so what about us, right? That's great. Jesus, go to the Jews. He's ministering to this woman too. Well, what about us? Here's where I think there's this this background picture that what Jesus is doing that we may not realize is that he's setting the trajectory for his mission to broaden. He knew what his priority was, but somehow I think he also knew from the Father that eventually his mission was to broaden out to include everyone into the people of God. And you see his disciples do this later on, right? 
There's explicit missionaries to the Gentiles and stuff like this, right? The, the church, the followers of Jesus, starts becoming mixed Jews and Gentiles, and that causes its own unique, interesting problems. And I think Jesus is like, yeah, I knew that was coming. It's still the plan, right? So Jesus in this story is setting a trajectory that even he himself in his earthly ministry is not gonna go into, but he knows that his disciples will. He knows that you and I will. So an interesting cultural difference between Jews and Greeks in this time period um, was this thing that very well-to-do Greek households would often have dogs as pets. Anybody like dogs? You guys got pets at home? Yep, we love our dog. We have a golden retriever named Clementine. She's a year old, so she's still like insane. She thinks the life of the party and the party never ends. Um, But so well-to-do Greek households, they would have dogs in their homes as pets, but Jews almost uniformly considered them as unclean, right? They considered them as unclean scavengers. They're the ones that just would roam around the streets and they're eating garbage and this kind of thing. And so what's happening here when Jesus says, right, it's not right to take the children's food and give it to the dogs, it, this, he's, he's referring to this cultural phenomenon that would be sort of this dark play on words in which Jews would often refer to Gentiles as dogs, as like a bitter insult. Now, I, I gotta admit, right out the gate, I'm like, wait, Jesus, you're, you're actually responding to this woman's need for her daughter to be delivered. You're responding to it with this sort of like low-level racial slur, right? What is happening here? Not super cool. But I think what's going on is Jesus, Jesus loves to be subversive, right? If you notice this, he loves for in a moment to make people think that he's really on their side. And then he just like comes in with a right hook. Yeah, this is what he's doing. So in his typical subversive way, Jesus plays into this cultural norm of Jews looking down on Gentiles and their their love of dogs and using that as a sort of dig. He uses that for just a moment in order to turn it upside down for his purposes of mission. Now, while not directly calling this woman a Gentile dog, he's subtly referring to that widespread cultural division because he wants to, he wants to address that division and correct it. He wants to address that arrogance and bring it down. He wants to address that way in which they would despise and look down on others to say, no, 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 no. Everyone is loved by God. This is when he should have brought in his zinger, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't do it, right? I think Jesus missed an opportunity for clarity there at this point. But gives us something to talk about on a Sunday morning here in 2021. So Jesus doesn't immediately address this woman's request, but he does because of her faith. And he does because it presents him this opportunity to make a much larger point about the trajectory of the kingdom of God. That he's saying, yep, I was sent just to these people because these are my people and they're very special to God. And almost in the same breath saying, but everyone is special to God. This is not staying in house, as it were. This is not going to be some family secret that we keep from the rest of the world. Now, in in context, this is really interesting. If you go back and read the rest of Matthew 7, Uh, Matthew 15 includes this as well. Um, Another thing becomes clear is that what Jesus is doing is he is redefining clean and unclean, all right? Now, are you guys aware that like like Jews, and even today this is true, that they'll regard certain foods especially as unclean, right? That you cannot eat them, and then certain foods as clean. Uh, Similarly, they would regard certain people as unclean and certain people as clean. 
So Mark 7 opens up with this, this group of religious leaders gathering around Jesus, challenging him because they saw his disciples eating without washing their hands. And this is a big no-no, right? Especially if you're out in the marketplace, you might touch things that Gentiles touched. You may have shaken hands with a Gentile or something, and you gotta wash your hands before you do this. Um, and Jesus, he gives them some snappy comebacks, you know, about this. And then he teaches the crowd, and he says, listen to me, all of you, and get this straight. What goes into you from the outside can't make you unclean. What makes you unclean is what comes from the inside. When they got back to the house, away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about this. He said, you didn't get it either? Don't you see that whatever goes into someone from the outside can't make them unclean? It doesn't go into the heart. It only goes into the stomach and then carries on out, out down the drain. And the result is all foods are clean. This is Mark's like comment in here. In the NIV, in the NIV I think it says, um, by saying this, he declared all foods clean. And the point is this, right? In the context of what Mark is trying to help us understand is that if unclean foods were no longer unclean, then neither were Gentiles. If all foods are clean, then so are all people. This trajectory of the mission of God is meant to go out to anyone and everyone. This is why the last few weeks we've been spending this message series that we did called Life Shared, right? Where we're trying to reimagine what does it look like for us to be witnesses, to, to tell the gospel to other people. So if Jesus feels aloof, you can trust him. There's more going on than you realize, Right? And we see that in relation to his calling. We see this in relation to him shifting the trajectory of the mission of the kingdom of God. And third and finally, I would call this the formational reading. And the question is like, what are we to become? And this is just my gut about a lot of things that, that were written into the Bible because we can read this passage and we can go, okay, Mark included this, right? He, he had to edit it. There was lots of stories, right? Lots of stories that he could have included you know, why did he include this one? And yeah, he could have included it because we see that it expresses what Jesus' calling was. Yeah, maybe he included it because we see the way that he's, he's opening up the mission of the kingdom of God, meaning it's supposed to spread to the entire world. But I think that oftentimes what we stop, we stop there and what we miss is that the reason that this passage is included in the Bible is because God wants us to see ourselves in the story somewhere. He wants us to see that the way that he relates to someone in that story is the way that he relates to us. And the person that I think we're supposed to see ourselves in this story, as the only other character actually mentioned, is this woman. And so for a moment, like, like put yourself in the place of this woman and the great need that you had. Maybe you don't have children, but you can imagine if you had a kid who, who had this demon that was just uh, wrecking their lives and you were so desperate for it, how would you feel if you came to Jesus saying, will you heal her? And he says, I'm not giving that to you. Right? What I want to suggest in this formational reading of this passage is that the more that is going on here is Jesus is making us desperate for him. This woman was so desperate for him. He wants us to become so desperate for him, desperate enough that we will be as persistent as possible just to get the crumbs. Have you ever been that desperate before God? 
Have you ever been that desperate before Jesus where, where you're like, I'd, I'll take anything. I'll take the scraps that are falling from your table, Jesus. I, I don't care anymore. I don't need the big mountaintop experiences. I don't need tons of huge successes. I don't need everything to be awesome in my life. Can I just get some, some, some crumbs? This woman reminds me of the story. You know the, woman of the, the story of the woman who um, was suffering from bleeding for 12 years? She had a hemorrhage for 12 years and doctors couldn't cure her. And she sees Jesus walking through town and she knows, she just thinks, I don't need his full attention. If I could just sneak up behind him and like touch the hem of his cloak, I know I'll be healed. So she pushes through the crowd. She touches his cloak, boom, healed. And even Jesus knew it, right? He's like, who touched me? You know, like tons of people are touching you, Jesus. He said, no, but I know power went out for me, right? This woman had that same desperation. At some point in life, if you follow Jesus long enough, this is gonna feel this way to you. Now, for some of you guys, maybe, maybe this is a word for some of you right here, right now today. My gut is, is that for some of you, this is sort of like, you know, like, like your car's like maintenance handbook that you just like stick in the glove, depart, glove compartment and you like pull it out like every couple years when you need to learn how to like do some simple thing, right? Stick this one in the glove compartment of the car of your life and like maybe you need to pull this out in a few years. But at some point in time, it's going to feel like Jesus is aloof. And I think this is a good word for people like us in the vineyard, right? We are, we are people of the presence of God, Right? If you're new here to the venue, you should know this. We are a people of the presence of God, meaning that whatever we do and however we do it, we want to truly experience God. We believe that when we worship that we can experience him. We believe that in, in praying and laying out of hands that we can experience his presence, that even now in the reading of his word that we are experiencing his presence here. And it is the most disconcerting feeling in the world when you feel like that presence is gone. And if you feel like that now, it's okay. It's okay. When you hit that point at some future, future state in your life, it's also okay. As a staff, we've been reading, we just finished reading this book called The Critical Journey. And, and the premise of this book, right, if I could sum it up, the premise of this book is, is that there's, there's these somewhat predictable stages that our faith goes through, right? That we all have our very unique stories and nothing looks 100% like everybody else, but that there's these general flows or phases that we can go through. And if I'm honest, like most of them are pretty fun. Most of them are kind of like exciting. And we feel like we're growing and everything is wonderful and beautiful. And then there's a stage called stage four, which is really terrible. <laughs> and it's, it's not an encouraging book to read if you stop there, right? It gets better. But, but what happens in this stage is that suddenly God feels aloof. We spent all these years learning and growing and maturing in our faith, and we have this relationship with God and relationship with others, and we've, we're seeing miracles happen, and we're loving and serving people, and we're watching other people come to faith, and it's wonderful. And then we hit this phase where all of a sudden, all of our beliefs, all of our practices that seem to be working just no longer work for us. And we feel like God is distant. We feel like this woman. We come to God with our needs and our desires and our prayers, and we feel like he's just ignoring us. Now he's not, he's not, but it feels like he is. And what he is doing is he is drawing us in. He's saying, how bad do you really want me? How bad do you really want me? 
The, the end of this stage four is, is what these authors and, and others I've read call the wall. And it really feels like you're, just, you're hitting this wall and you can't move forward. It's what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul. But there is light and there is life and there's connection with God on the other side of it that, that just everything else pales in comparison. Just like this woman, her life was turned upside down for the better after this encounter with Jesus. She had to persevere. She, she, she could have turned around, right? And at some point in time, you will feel like this woman. You'll have this great need for a miracle. You'll bring it to Jesus. And somehow it'll feel like he just doesn't have enough power to go around or he's got better things to do or he doesn't hear you or whatever. And it will feel like his response to you is abrasive or evasive or harsh or it's dismissive or just apathetic. This often occurs in our life in, the time, in a time of crisis, like this woman was in crisis. A crisis that, that we know nothing is gonna set us free from this, nothing's gonna get us through this, but some kind of miracle. This often just feels like a season. It's drawn out and it's long. And at some point in time, when you're in that state, you will have the very same choice that this woman had. Imagine walking in. You have this need, and she says, Jesus, please deliver my daughter. And he says, it's not right to give the children's food to the dogs. Oh. You have a choice. You can turn around and walk away, you know, kicking stones while you're heading down the road and like mumbling curses under your breath. I knew that Jesus too good for us and whatever. He makes all these big promises and rah, rah, rah. You ever had that conversation with Jesus? I have. I've learned he's a big boy. He can take it. We can turn around and we can walk away or we can press in further, willing to receive whatever scraps Jesus may have to offer. And the thing is, is that even his scraps will absolutely turn your life upside down. It's all we need. Jesus loves talking about small things. That's why he talks about like faith the size of, size of a mustard seed, right? Like you don't need a lot. Even his table scraps and his crumbs will turn us upside down. Jesus wants us to become people who come to him with our needs because we're desperate for him. He wants us to become people who are persistent, people who would rather have the crumbs from his meal than whole feasts from anyone else's table. People who are perpetually dissatisfied until we have more and more and more of him. Do you ever feel dissatisfied with Jesus? Good, you should. That keeps you coming back for more. It's not because he's holding back. It's not because he's even like, like, playing like a bait and switch thing with you or playing hard to get, it's we get empty. And in our emptiness, in our need, we've got to be desperate for him. He wants people who sing like Bono, right? You guys know this last verse? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He's like, I believe in the kingdom come and all the colors Bleed into one, bleed into one. And yes, I'm still running. 
You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know I believe it, come on. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me?